At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we step into the new year, we're turning to the book of James for our message series, Live the Truth. In a culture preaching the power of whatever feels right to you, it's time to set aside positive vibes for a truth you can stand on. Join us as we answer James' call to reject the latest feel-good message for a mature faith. Well, good morning. You know, rather than tell you a personal story this morning, rather than give you some kind of pop quiz, rather than make this kind of cultural connection with a story that's going on in our world and tying that directly to the biblical text, I want to begin this morning by highlighting a picture, because this picture is going to highlight a little bit of what we are going to be doing today. The picture you see is Paris, and there are 12 streets that lead to the Arch de Triumph, and that is what you see in that photograph, and all those streets lead to that one point, and today what we are going to be doing is looking at a text from James' letter that really ties everything that we've been looking at the past few weeks and brings it together. This is the final week in our James series And what we've been looking at are ways that all kind of come together in what we're looking at this morning. So let me just do a quick overview. Week one, we talked about what it means for you and I to face seasons of suffering. They will come, and how do we actively engage with them? In week two, we learned the importance of seeking and pursuing godly wisdom. The word speaks to us that we can and should ask for it, And so we are to seek godly wisdom. In week three, James instructed us on how we should view those things that we possess. And then last week, we considered the ways that we ought to be treating each other. All of those things kind of find their center in what we're looking at today. The text we are going to be looking at, I want to just give you a quick heads up, is Brilliant in its simplicity, and yet it is difficult to master. I'm going to say that one more time. It is crisp and brilliant in its simplicity, and yet it is very difficult for you and I to put it into practice in consistent fashion. It is also a text that addresses a practical issue that leads to a theological conclusion or understanding. And I want to, I want to tell you that's kind of rare It's usually the other way around. We usually have a theological truth and then it's played out in a particular way. This is what we see, kind of this practical concern that is highlighted by the writer that leads to a theological understanding. And it is a theological topic, theological issue that has been discussed and debated and kicked around and discussed some more for centuries. And we're going to talk about that later. But I guess that some of you right now are going, okay, dude, like, could you get on with the text already? You're kind of setting this thing up. I'd really like you to kind of open the word. So let's go ahead and do that. We're going to be reading from James chapter 2. James chapter 2, we're going to be specifically looking at verse 14. It is on page 1012 in your ESV Bible, and uh, if you were looking it up on your mobile device, uh, I'm just going to give you a moment to get there. If you'd like to follow behind me, you can do that as well. But we are talking about James chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 14. 
What good is it, my brothers? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not our Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, that faith was compelled by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body, apart from the spirit, is dead, so also faith, apart from works, is dead. These are the words of James, you may recall. James is the brother of Jesus. He's a guy who grew up and had prominence in the church in Jerusalem. Now, the reason that's intriguing for us and important for us is that during Jesus' lifetime, he did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. After his death on the cross, after his resurrection, James believes, and then he kind of takes this significant place within the context of the church. And it is James who is writing to a group of Jews, ethnic Jews, who have trusted in Jesus for their salvation. That's very important for us as we turn our text today, turn to our text today. It's a very important that we recognize who he's writing to and that he is in fact writing to a group of believers. Jews who have faith in Christ and because of that faith, they have been dispersed throughout that region. And so today as we close out our series It is my hope that what you've heard and what you've seen and the practical wisdom that we have seen from James' writing, it's my hope that you recognize that when he wrote that, he was writing to a group of believers, and therefore, if you are in Christ today, he is writing to you as well. I hope that you see that. And I hope that as you read James' letter for yourself, which I would encourage you to do, I love that you're here. I love that you're worshiping with us. But I hope that this is not just the half hour that you engage with this text during the week. I hope that as you read James, you're examining your own heart. That you're wrestling with the things that are presented in this text. That it's not just I read a text and I close it, but that I use it to examine my own heart and my own mind and where I am along my faith journey. 
I hope you do that because it matters for one significant reason alone. Because genuine faith is revealed through our actions. Genuine faith is revealed through our actions. That means if you are an authentic follower of Jesus Christ, it will come out of you and it will be exposed by what you do. By your actions. So, let's dig a little deeper. Let's look at James and pick it up at verse 14. He says, What good is it, my brothers? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, I'm going to stop there and just cause you to think about that for a moment. If you're looking at a brother who is poorly clothed, they don't have the basic necessities that they need in their life. That is what he is talking about here in this moment. And they lack in daily food. That means they don't have enough to eat. They are hungry. And if that person, we look at them and we go, go in peace, be warm, be filled. And we don't give them the things needed for the body. James says, what good is that? What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. It's dead. Church, those are loaded words. I want you to know that as I was preparing for this message, I'm going to be completely transparent with you. There is a a measure of weightiness as we turn to this text today. Not because it is burdensome, not because it weighs me down, but because it is so critically important that every single person here understands what we're talking about today. It is so imperative. So I want to unpack it as clearly as I can. And I want you to see how it might connect with you and with your story. So what we're going to see as we look at this text is that James wants you and I, wants believers to understand this to such a degree that he gives multiple illustrations to prove this point. To prove the point that our faith is revealed through our actions. So let's look at it a little more closely. What good is it, James asks? If someone says he has faith but does not have works, pause. What good is it if you say one thing and then do completely something else? What good is it? What good is it if you proclaim the truth and yet your actions do not match the truth that you just proclaimed? What good is it if you stand in front of people and profess Jesus? Woo! But your life looks nothing like his. James isn't messing around. And we shouldn't either. You see, James wants all believers, that's men, women, children, who say that they believe in Jesus to actually live the faith that we profess. You say, well, why? Because faith without action is dead. Faith in Jesus Christ without action is dead. 
So often when we read a text like this, we can do one of two things. We can think it's written directly to me, or we can think it has nothing to do with me. It's written to that first century audience. What is important for us to know is that he is writing to a group of Jewish believers. That's so imperative for us to understand what we're looking at today. He's writing to people who have faith, and he's saying your faith should impact the way you live. You should live differently. You should treat others differently. You should love others well. You should serve others consistently. It should change everything about your life. It's so important that you and I get this. That we recognize that James is writing to a people who have already professed faith in Christ. I want to remind you, they've done so at a significant cost. Remember, they are dispersed. These are people who were Jews, now are believers, and they are now dispersed. And what he's saying to them is you've got to just move beyond this kind of intellectual agreement to truly believe in the Savior who took away your sin, that he gives you life. He provides life. That it should move from kind of this head and heart acknowledgement. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. I acknowledge what he did. And then it should influence the way I live. So it is a head, heart, and hands kind of faith. James says if you're a Christ follower, it should lead to action. It should lead to movement. It should lead to you and me doing something. Let's look back at our text. Verse 15 and 16. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled without giving them anything that they need for their body, what good is that? James is making a rhetorical case highlighting the tangible needs of an individual who is right in front of us, and we give him the Heisman. It should stir something within our souls. It should lead us to action. Now let me be clear about this. This is going to look very different for every single person in this room. Because God has uniquely made you and given you the family that you have and only you have. He's given you friends that only you have. He's given you coworkers that only you have. He's put you in a neighborhood that you live in, I don't. Okay? We have friends that we hang out with and do life with, and they live in a different neighborhood. Well, guess what? God has placed you in your neighborhood with your group of friends, with your coworkers for a purpose. But the question is this, do we see the needs right in front of us? Are we looking? Are we looking for where we can live out our faith? Or are we so focused on our own stuff? You'd say, that's really nice, Pastor, but I've got bills to pay. I've got kids to take care of. I have a social media presence that I have to keep up. I have my job. I have all these things going on. I don't have time to see the people who have needs around me. I guarantee you in this room right now, there are people who are hurting and need you to love them well. Now, 
Today, we have one of those cool opportunities where what I'm talking about, we can actually respond in a practical way. Jacob mentioned it a few moments ago. We have an opportunity for you today to grab a winter care kit. This is a way to tangibly put your faith into action. You grab a bag, you fill it with the basic needs, kind of like the person who is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food. And we grab a bag, and we know that they're going to be distributed through the Dream Center in Pontiac. And then we know that they are going to be Oh, wait a second. They're going to be ours, and we're going to take them, and we're going to have them in our car, and we're going to be ready to do something, to put our faith into action. Don't leave here today without grabbing a bag. They're out in the lobby, down the hall, and right there on the corner, they're a winter care kit, and this gives us a practical opportunity to meet a need. I love that. You see, that's what James is addressing. He says, what good is it when a believer sees a need and does nothing about it? He says, the faith is as good as dead. A.W. Tozer writes about this sort of spiritual apathy. I might kind of take it and say spiritual disobedience. He writes in his book, The Dangers of a Shallow Faith. He says, when a man rises and says, well, I believe the Bible, and then ignores the teaching of the Bible, he is rejecting the word more insidiously than outright disbelief. You know it, but you don't want to do it. Now, I talked a little bit ago about this kind of weightiness of my preaching today and kind of this tightrope that I feel like I'm walking. And it's on this very issue, okay? I'm just going to be real honest with you. Many of you come from a background where you heard about all the things that you were supposed to do. Do the right thing. Do your Bible reading. Do your praying. Do good works. Do, 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 do. This is something that I cannot express clear enough. The Christian faith is just that. It is faith. It's faith in Jesus, the one who came to earth as a baby in a manger, born of a virgin. It's faith in Jesus, the one who grew up and lived a sinless life for 33 years, proclaiming the truth, loving people well, healing their needs. It is faith in Jesus who willingly spared that life on a cross, paying the penalty for your sin and for mine. It is faith in Jesus who rose from the dead and defeated sin. He defeated death and he gives us life. It is faith in Jesus. By God's grace, that's how you and I are saved. Not because of works. It is through faith that you've been forgiven. It is by faith that you have been redeemed. It is by faith that you've been made new. It is by faith. None of it has been earned by your good works. Instead, your good works reveal your faith. 
Your good works show the world your faith. That's what it's about. Don't confuse the order. It begins with faith and then it is expressed and revealed in our actions. Make sure you grab a hold of that today. Now let's continue on in our text. Let's look at verse 18. But someone will say, well, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one? Well, you do well. Even the demons believe in the shudder. You want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? You want to be shown that? James obviously has returned to the interplay of faith and works. And as I've said before, it's important that we know he's writing to a group of believers. This is not an evangelistic letter. This is a letter about discipleship. These are Christians. They are people who would profess faith. He's reminding them this core truth that impacts not just them, but you and me as well. That faith without action is simply dead but I've got good news because the opposite is also true. The opposite is also true. Faith with action is alive. Faith with action is alive. You see, it's through our actions that our faith is revealed as genuine. It's through what we do. James gives us multiple illustrations in today's text to show the inadequacy of just sort of this intellectual agreement to a set of doctrine or this confessional faith. He gives us multiple references, multiple stories that says, I'm going to show you what I'm talking about. I'm not just going to make this statement once and then let it hang there and move on. I'm going to go back and back and back again to communicate, to make sure that we get this. So he begins in verse 19 by making a reference to the Shema. The Shema is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That was a prayer that Jews would pray every day. Each and every day they would pray that prayer. James highlights that that's nice. It's good to do that. But even demons believe Even demons believe and they respond in fear. Now, some of you might say, well, wait a second. What is a demon exactly? That is a spiritual force that is against the ways of God, against God. That's what we're talking about when it says demons. Let me give you a quick summary of what he's highlighting here. Just because we know the truths of God does not mean that we have a genuine biblical faith. Just because you come in the doors of this church does not mean you have a genuine biblical faith. Maybe you came at Christmas and you saw the baby lying in a manger as kind of this image that we highlighted throughout the series of all the different things of the Christmas story and the people. You'd say, yeah, I know that story. I'm familiar with that. And then in a few months, we're going to highlight Easter and you're going to say, yeah, I know about Jesus and he died on the cross and he rose again from the dead. You know that intellectually, but do you know that in faith? And then does your faith produce anything? Does it move us to anything? 
You see, when faith does not result in action, it's like we know the truth, but we really don't even believe it. New Testament theologian Andreas Kostenberger describes it this way. He says, merciful actions speak louder than pious words. In fact, pious words not backed up by merciful action are empty. They're hollow and they're hypocritical. Just by show of hands, is there anybody who came in today and said, I would like to be known as a hypocrite? Anybody? I didn't think so. Let's go on to verse 21. What we're going to see is a couple more illustrations of how faith alive moves us to action. James references two kind of prominent Old Testament narratives. One is somebody I guarantee you've heard of. His name is Abraham. And the other one is Rahab. And we're going to make some kind of distinctions here in just a moment. But let's look at verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. James begins with Abraham. Abraham's the patriarch of our faith. And he was ultimately declared righteous because of his willingness to demonstrate his faith. When he placed Isaac on that altar, that was a demonstration, that was an action of his faith in Almighty God. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 15. Abraham, in that moment, demonstrated his faith. If you were standing off to the side and watching that scenario happen, you would say, that guy has faith. It was being demonstrated. His faith was alive and he modeled it with action. He modeled it. Then James swings the pendulum quite a bit and he goes to a lady named Rahab in verse 25. And in the same way, just like Abraham, James says, in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. You see, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So let's make a quick comparison. You have Abraham, who's the patriarch of our faith. Most of us know kind of the story of Abraham and what's going on there. And then let's swing the pendulum over to Rahab. She's a female in a male-dominant society. Likely rather poor, certainly immoral, And yet her faith was alive. It was demonstrated by her actions. If you want to read more about that, you can find it in Joshua chapter 2. You see, so what he does is he uses multiple illustrations to make this point crystal clear. That only faith that is alive is faith that results in actions. Only the faith that is alive results in action. So now let me, let me turn this corner and move us away from the biblical text and into our own space, into our own lives for just a moment. And let me ask this question. As you're here today, is your faith resting solely upon Jesus Christ? 
You'd say, Pastor, I understand my own sin. I repent of that sin. I confess it before God and I believe the gospel. I believe the good news of Jesus Christ. That's where it begins. It begins at the cross. Have you trusted in Him as your Savior and as your Lord? Then if you are in faith today, if you have that saving faith, if you have responded to the call of the gospel, is your faith active? Is it vibrant? Is it moving? Is it doing? Is your faith revealed in your day-to-day actions? It's a question we all need to wrestle with. We say, well, Pastor, I don't know what that looks like. What does that mean? Let me break it down for a few categories. In your neighborhood, as I said, God placed you there for a purpose. In your neighborhood, do you know people who have needs? Do you know people who are struggling in certain ways? Is there a way that you could enter into their lives at some level and bring some encouragement to them? Bring some practical love. Bring a practical faith to them. Let's move out of the neighborhood. Let's go to the office. Do your practices in the office model what you profess? How about your speech? How about the integrity with which you do your job? How about the way you respect those who are above you on the org chart and those who are below you? Do you treat them the same way? How do you deal with your clients, your customers? Let's bring it down to the friend level. Do your friends see consistency in your profession And in your actions, church, they should. That does not mean that you're going to be perfect. We are all on a faith journey where the Spirit is empowering us to live out our faith in real and significant ways every single day. This does not mean that we are perfect, but it does mean that what we say should be matched by what we do. Believer, you've been saved by God's grace through your faith. That is a biblical and theological doctrine that the church has stood on for hundreds upon hundreds of years. But it's not a passive faith. It is a faith that is revealed in action. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.